It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gonna take it. Got it! Boston wins! Two legends in basketball analysis with over 70 years combined experience. This is the Bob Ryan and Jeff Goodman podcast. NBA, some college, a little bit of everything. You know what can I say? But it wasn't gonna happen here with him. I was okay with it because it wasn't about talent, I didn't think. All right, let's get right to it. All right, welcome in another edition of the Ryan and Goodman podcast, and uh, we've got Jay Wright, Villanova head coach, and Jay, you look pretty, I don't know, like like you normally do. I expected like the full beard, you know, full got, gray. It's a shady beard. I got a lot of gray in here that's tough to tell, but it's a, it's a shady beard, but it's cool to be on with the, I feel like I'm in New England with you two, like this is so Philly, you two are so New England, I appreciate being being welcome. This is the, the best way I can get to New England. Hang with you two. Yeah, no, this is nice. great. This is great. And you got Bob Ryan, a Philly guy, you know, and uh, I know he, he's been he's been dying to have you on here for a while. Uh, we're not going to talk too much, you know, Villanova, St. Joe's, and, and Big Five. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna try to we're gonna try to reel Bob in when he goes too much Big Five. But we'll uh, we'll get to that, I'm sure. So, Jay, I, I wanted you know to, to talk to you first about. You know, I was thinking about my favorite kind of recruiting memory. Uh, and we met when I was early on doing recruiting, and I just kind of started. I remember talking to you at ABCD, and one of the first kids that, that I really got to know well was Jason Frazier, who you guys were on heavy at that point. And it just kind of reminded me of my favorite recruiting stories. And, and one of them uh, was uh, I went to school at Arizona, and I didn't know Ludolson well when I was there as a student and you always thought of him as like this majestic, huge figure that was untouchable. And I'm at an, a, an event and Josh Pastner, his assistant then uh, said to me, he goes, Hey, can you, can you take coach Olson to this other gym? Can you drive him in Vegas? I got to go to another gym. I said, hell yeah, of course. What do you need <laughs> me to take him? So, uh, so we get in the car and, and I, I'm driving him to another gym in Vegas. And he says, Hey, don't tell Josh, but we're going we're gonna to stop off. There's this great Italian restaurant <laughs> up in the hills. We literally went there and just BS for like two hours. We missed the entire game. I never told Pastner. I'm sure they didn't get the kid that they were supposed <laughs> to get. But it was like the coolest story for me. What, what's kind of the coolest recruiting story that you've had over the years that you kind of look back on and, and, and laugh on, like pinch yourself almost? Well, first of all, that that is hilarious because that is an era, Luke Olson, Roly Massimino. That sounds exactly like my life as an assistant with Roly Massimino. Because we couldn't we couldn't put him with anybody else because that's exactly what he would do. If he wasn't with myself or John Olive or Steve Lapis at the time. We would make him go to the game. If we had a manager drive him or anybody else, he would talk them out of going to the game, and he'd be at an Italian restaurant. Exactly. I remember one time he went down to see uh, the great player at DeMatha, who was the first guy who sent out questionnaires to the coaches. Oh, uh, he wound up going to Maryland. Bob, do you remember? Um, no, I'm trying to think. Not. Hmm. He was like 6'11". Oh, um, oh God. Mustaf. I think his last name was Mustaf. Um, oh, Gerard Mustaf. Yes, yeah, yes. There we go. Yeah. We, in the summer, 
We sent Coach Mass, we were running his camp, and we sent him to see Gerard Mustaf at back then Morgan Wooten's camp, which was like in Maryland at Frostburg State or something. And we had the managers drive him, three managers drive him. And we get a call. The managers are like, I'm sorry, Coach. We couldn't talk him out of it. We're on, we're on a lake. On, we're on the beach at a lake drinking wine and eating bread and cheese. He wouldn't go to the game. He took, he took three 20-year-old managers, and they're hanging out on a beach drinking wine and eating bread and cheese, and he never went to see them play. Funny you mentioned the Italian restaurant and him only because – and uh, this is true. I happen to have been, by sheer coincidence and chance, in the same Italian restaurant in which he dined the night before the 1985 championship game. Get out. That's Sunday night. Yes. I've got just, just luck. Yeah. Coach me. So I can vouch for him eating an Italian restaurant as his, his uh, day, night before meal in, 19, in Lexington, Kentucky in 1985. Now, well, folks, Bob, as you, as you know, and being around hoops twice and you and I, that's don't get him and I getting on our boy hoops twice. We get great hoops twice, but that era with him, um, you know, we, when we travel, you know, I, we eat dinner with the team, our staff together all the time. We eat every meal with the team. But when I was his assistant, when we would go on the road, especially if we went to Providence or Boston, New York, all the, oh. he, it was way more important where we were going to eat dinner the night before the game. And back then you'd stay in town and take the first flight out in the morning. Yeah. And it, it was him setting up where we we're going to eat dinner the night before and the night after and us doing the scouting report and making sure he was focused on the game. But he was so excited about the restaurants and seeing all his buddies up in those towns. And it was, it was a different era. I catch myself. I said to my assistant sometimes like night before the game, you know, I, you know, we're sitting around, we, we do the, all this, you know, we have this healthy snack with, you know, <laughs> all fresh fruits and vegetables and uh, and I'm saying guys if I was with coach Massimino right now we would be on like our fourth course and 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 our fifth bottle of wine these these guys would be the managers would be watching these guys it was a totally different era this as a revelation to America ladies and gentlemen that you are looking at coach Wright in a casual garb in casual garb <laughs> the world now this Jay Wright is well-known as being the best-dressed man in college basketball, and in fact was the four-time winner of the Kim Capstraw, the runway to the Fashionable Four Award back in 1998 and 02. Now, I, he thinks he's a well-dressed man, and he is, but I have, I have a recommendation for him uh, to, 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 top, you know, to, to, to take the final step next year. Okay, when you put on one of those dazzling suits and take the final step and show the world something really special that no one else has done. And this is what I think you should do next year uh, <laughs> is, is take the court um, completely, completely. Jay, I'll put a hundred dollars into the pot. If you wear that, I'll put a hundred in the pot right now. <laughs> hey, that's out of my league. I'm trying to go the other way, Bob. It, it's fashion is getting more casual. My wife has a line. She's like, Jay, you got to stop with this. So you look like Connie Mack. From back in the day, oh, you, you got to tone it down some. And now Bob's coming with a top hat. Seriously, what is this, Bob? You cannot wear this for every podcast, okay? <laughs> I'm putting my foot down. This is not your new attire for every pod. Going to be our trademark, Jeff. Okay, all right, fine. Now I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to change my garb. I mean, I'm feel completely now, now this is the, the best description uh, of Jay Wright that I've ever heard uh, from a peer. Uh, was from the immortal Tom Brennan, who said that he's the young Frank McGuire. <laughs> now, that, that has great meaning to some people out there yeah. uh, of a certain age. No I meaning, think that is a, no I meaning think that's a great compliment. You, you can appreciate that. I, I don't really know if you didn't know that he had labeled you the young Frank McGuire at all. He, Bob, <laughs> as you know, Tom Brennan, if he's got a good line, he's not going to hold it back. You're going to hear it. <laughs> I, I've heard it. So you know, hey, the first time I ever we ever had any remote encounter, you may not remember this. You probably, but probably you, you might. As 2000, I am doing a feature story on this cuckoo coach up in Vermont, who also was a radio morning sports uh, host 
a radio show, folks. Tom Brennan did a full-time radio show, coached Corman the coach on the radio station in Burlington, Vermont. And I'm here doing this feature. And Jay White, were you in town? You're coaching Hofstra. He yeah. calls you up, wakes you up like in the morning to put and puts you on the air to just for the purpose of getting you out of bed. Exactly. Do remember that. Okay. Hey, I definitely remember that. And he, you know, he loves you, but he, he literally had a morning radio show every morning, get in there 5 a.m., go yep. till 10, and coached his team. And when he's on the road, he would do it remotely. But when we would come to town, he would ha- – I'd have to go – because he was an assistant for Roller Massimino. It's a whole other story. But So I had a loyalty to him. I had to go out to dinner with him the night before, oh, which yeah. I hated to do. One, At the one skipper. year – Rusty Skipper. Yes, yes. You'd go. Exactly right. <laughs> One year, they beat us, and we're on the bus the next morning. Excuse me. Excuse me. We rarely won at Vermont. Rarely, ever. And one of Tom Brennan's great lines was, Speedy Claxton won the NBA championship with the uh, San Antonio Spurs. And as the game ended in the NBA Finals, the Spurs were running out the clock and Speedy was dribbling the ball and my phone rang and it was Tom Brennan. He said, Jay boy, I'm happy for Speedy. He's winning the NBA championship, but he never won a game in Patrick Jim at Vermont. <laughs> that's, that's our boy. That, that is our boy. No, he but I was saying I got on a bus in the morning after we beat them once. We might've only won out of like seven years or a half. So we might've only won once at Vermont. And we got on the bus at like five in the morning because we used to fly back, you know, early back in the day. And we're listening to the bus drivers listening to his radio show. And he's got it on. And they're saying, Tom Brennan's going to have to put on a scuba suit. He's going to, and Tom Brennan's going, yep, I got to do it. I got to jump in the lake. He had guaranteed the day before, if we lose the Hofstra, I'll jump in Lake Champlain. (laughs) And our whole team heard it the next day on the bus. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts, golf, esports, XFL, and many more. So if you're into entertainment, you can still bet an American Idol, the elections, the spelling bee, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Be sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus in your first deposit. Bet online, your full access wagering solution. You know, during that show, in the course of the four hours, I, I can't, when it went in the morning, I, I sat there that whole morning you know, for the four hours uh, as part of doing my story, and he invited me in. And he composed a poem about me during the course of the show, during the intervals when. And I have the I have the handwritten copy still behind me here in my office. Uh, yeah, can you find it, it? Is the question among <laughs> all the reports, How long would it take you to find it, Bob? Uh, maybe three minutes, three or four minutes. Oh come on! I'll take no. the over. I'll take the over on that. Yeah, uh-huh. me too. Just looking at it. I know. I know exactly. No, I know which. It's in a. It, it, I know where it is. It's not in a pile. It's not in a pile. All right, I want Jay White. When you're coaching Hofstra and, uh, from, for seven years, and, 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 of course, your whole resume, folks, it starts out at Rochester assistant, Drexel, and then Villanova assistant, UNLV assistant, and then head coach of Hofstra. But you're coaching Hofstra, and you're in the America East. Um, did you fantasize about someday you would win a national championship somewhere? Or, or, and, and A, and B, when, it, when the reality happened, how much did it, really, how, how much did it change your life? No, you know what, Bob? I never, I never thought about that as a coach. Um, but it, as you just mentioned, I started out as a Division Three assistant coach, University of Rochester, and look, I, this is a great blessing. I don't, I don't know where I ever got it, but it's just a blessing from God. But I, when when I was at Hofstra, I, I could have been a Division Three. I was so in my glory coaching. I could have been a Division Three coach. I would have been the happiest guy in the world, and. When I got to Drexel and I got to be Division One assistant, I thought this is the greatest Division One assistant. Then I got to Villanova. I was like, so everywhere I went, including when I was at Hofstra, I was like, this is awesome. I loved it. If this is what it is, I'm the happiest guy in the world. 
And so I, and even when we were at Villanova, you know, I, I just, I just was so happy to be the coach at Villanova and, um, you know, and you compete every game. And, uh, but as you said, like once you win it, it doesn't, I hope, I hope it doesn't change me. It probably does a little bit, but um, it, it changes how people treat you and how they react to you. And then it forces you to try to, you know, try to keep your humility and, and, and keep your, 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 yourself grounded. I have a great wife who helps me with that. And, uh, but it's important. It really is because people treat you differently. Brings me to the most important question. Do you still have to take out the garbage? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. That's I, good. Good for her. That's good. I got, I got a, I got a, a great story. I keep in mind where I used to pick up the, uh, our dog, when our dog go to the bathroom, I pick up the, the dog poop with a, with the dog poop with a pooper scooper in the backyard. Sometimes I go out there with a cigar. That was peaceful for me. <laughs> and, uh, one time I was frustrated with it and uh, a couple, this was years ago. And, and then my wife said, like, you know, just, it's not a big deal. Just do it. I said, do you think Mike Krzyzewski's in his backyard picking up dog poop? <laughs> Back then she's like, Mike Krzyzewski's won five national championships. You haven't pick up the dog poop. <laughs> so now you've won two. You shouldn't have. I know. That's yeah. it. I know that's where you got, that's where you got to work on staying humble. So, hey, my, my favorite story with you, one of my favorite stories. So, so being Jewish, I don't even, even know if you know this. So you invited me in early days to your, like, pregame meal uh, at Villanova, right? And uh, sitting around, we're eating. I'm talking to, you know, you guys, whatever. Next thing you know, uh, I don't remember who it was, got up and, and said the, the – whatever it is, the, the blessing before you can eat, right, right. What, you know, right. saying grace, I guess, whatever. Right. Yeah. So I'm sitting there as the token Jew in the room going, what the hell do I do here? And what we have our know? priest. We have our priest in there. <laughs> we have a priest there. So I just, everybody bows their head and I'm sitting there going, what the hell am I <laughs> I just, I, I just bowed my head and, 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 and put through the, you know, it was, uh, it was it was entertaining though. It was, listen, we've had a lot of great um, story with Jay. One of the one of the uh, greatest things I thought that Jay does uh, in Providence. You and I walked. I remember uh, I was with you before the game, and I said, "What time? You know, I'm gonna meet you. We'll walk over to the game from the hotel, uh, Providence, which is right down the street. Uh, you can even walk through the mall to get to the arena." And I said, "What time you want me to come over here?" He said, well, walk over like 45 minutes before the game. I'm like, 45 minutes before the game? Everybody gets there an hour and a half before the game. Like, you're going to walk over 45? And your response, I thought it was smart. And I, I can't believe more coaches don't do it. They're like, the earlier I get over there, the more issues I have to deal with. Um, I don't know if you do that anymore. I think you've mixed it up a little bit. But back then, that's how you did it. You didn't want to get there too early. No, I – I still just – I get there an hour before and, and we, we start, you know. Now, if we're on the road and, and I, I go with – like, that province is great because you can walk there. But if we're on the road and our team gets there maybe like two hours and 15 minutes before. But, you know, earlier in my career and I'm such a control freak, you know, I'd get there early and I'd watch. I, I wouldn't like how a guy's warmed up. I wouldn't like how a guy had his warm-up jersey on. You know, I wouldn't – I wouldn't like that one of the up under, you know, freshmen got his ankle tape before the upperclassmen and just stuff that little stuff, you know, you can't react to at that time. And, and it was just, it was just working me up. And I just said, you know what, it's, I'm not going to be able to do anything there. And I, we have a great staff. So I just said, you know what, just don't be there. And on home games, sometimes one of my channels, I really try to time it. So I get there an hour before, but, Around Villanova, sometimes if I hit traffic, I'm, I'm running in there like 55, you know, 50 minutes before, and, and, and it's tough. As I told you on Twitter, I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health. I found a solution for weight loss, and it's Awaken 180. My friends in the media told me about Awaken 180. It's their go-to program to lose weight without killing yourself in the gym or taking any kind of medication. Just listen to the success stories. My boy, Kyle Draper, he dropped 30 pounds. Andy Grish dropped 105, and that's not it. Scott Zolak, 
Steve Logan, Dan Reeves, Dr. Laura R. Carmen, and add Cedric Maxwell to the list. It's only been about three weeks and I've already dropped about 15 pounds. Turn these trying times into a reason to get healthy like me. Call Awaken. Receive the same one-on-one coaching I'm getting at home or on Skype. Also access 1,000 recipes and tools you need to your weight loss from the company who has revolutionized the weight loss industry. Set up your first consultation today at awaken180weightloss.com. Jay, uh, not too long ago, uh, I believe it was New York Times had a, a piece uh, pointing out something very interesting. Was uh, during your your coaching career, you have not had a sheer one on one and done player. Is that and that? Um, I'm just so let's talk a little bit about the nature of of, of your recruiting. Uh, I know I know it's one thing this year. You're starting five uh, of this year. At least your top five leading scorers uh, come from Maryland, Pennsylvania, Maryland. Massachusetts, and then uh, um, Robinson Earl is from Kansas via IMG in, in Bradenton, Florida. But uh, just that's, you know, just by design, uh, how, you have an overall recruiting philosophy. How do you just talk about recruiting for a while? Yeah, well, the, the, the local recruiting is one part of it, and, and that is important, Bob, in that, you know, when we first got here, um, you know, we said, like, look, look, we're in the hotbed of basketball. I always said, like, the Big East, the Northeast, to me, we could argue this forever. It's, oh, yeah. like, it's like the SEC in football. Like, if, you're in the, if you live in the Southeast, you, you know, you just grow up. It's football all year round. Well, if you grew up in the Northeast, and this was the beauty of the origination of the Big East, if you grew up in the Northeast, it's basketball season all year round. You know, you're going to have the Jersey Shore in the summer. Guys, we're playing pickup basketball. And, so I said to our guys, like, this is – for us to go out of this blueprint is crazy. You know, it would be like guys in SEC football leaving the Southeast all the time to recruit. So now the part of that is everybody else comes into the Northeast to recruit, and you can't be afraid to lose. You can't have an ego that, um, you know, we, early we would lose a lot of kids to Duke and Carolina that would, they would come into Philly and recruit. I used to – it used to tick me off. We have Comcast Sports here in Philly, and um, you know, the, uh, Roy Williams would come into town, or Mike Chichester would come into town to recruit a local Philly kid, and they'd put a big thing on Comcast Sports and all this about them being in town. And I'm like, yo, like <laughs> you guys all talk about the Big Five, and you want the Big Five? I mean, what? Why do you? You know, you don't talk about these kids being recruited by the local schools. You know, so we would lose those guys a lot, and in it. You know, it it hurts your ego. It hurts the prestige of your program. So there's a tendency not, you know, to be afraid to lose to those guys. But we said we're not we're not going to worry about that. We're going to go after the best guys in our area. Stick to our area. They understand what Villanova is all about. Those guys. So when you get them, they're going to know what they're a part of. Jay, you you've got a really good veteran team coming back. Uh, Jeremiah didn't even put his name in for the, the test in the waters, whatever test in the waters is. Uh, Sadiq, I, I think, and I don't know if it's really out there, but he's certainly leaning towards probably keeping his name in for the draft. That'll be the guy, the guy that you lose. But you bring every, everybody else back. And how important is it going to be this year more than ever to have a veteran team back? Because some of those young teams, let's face it, they're freshmen. They're not going to be in there for summer one, maybe summer two which is when you start to get some chemistry, you start to learn, you know, weights and in the basics of, of the system, you know, you're not throwing a ton at them, but at least they're going to get adjusted. Don't you feel like these veteran teams like yourself, like Gonzaga, like Baylor are going to have even more of an advantage than, than ever? Well, I hope so. <laughs> but, uh, I, and it does make sense, Jeff. I, I, I've said to our team, you know, we're, we're going to be okay. You know, we, we, I, I, it's one of the few times you talk to your team and you're not really giving them definitive answers or definitive um, uh, schedules going forward. Um, one of the things that I always try to do with our team, we all do, is I don't say anything to them 
unless I know it's true for sure. If something's, whatever it is, just, it's not a definite yet. I'd rather not say it to them because I, I want everything that I say to them to be something they can trust. And I've said to them here, like, this is the first time we're having these meetings. And I'm, the things I'm saying to you, I'm not sure they're going to come true yet. We got to, you know, everything's tentative and fluid in this situation. But I am telling them, like, we're going to be okay because we have a veteran team. However, we have to do this. We know how to work together. We know what our core values are. We've gone through everything together last year. And I, and I said to them, if this was last spring and summer for us, which we had, we, this past year, as you know, we had one of the youngest teams we've ever had. And it showed we opened up on the road against Ohio state and we looked like a bad young team. And we were, <laughs> and, and now by the end of the year, finished top 10 in the country, won a big East. We, we were very good, but uh, we, we would have, I would have been, a lot more concerned and worried about how are we going to get this team together by the end of the year um, if this was last spring than being this spring and summer. Jay, uh, the, the the big five as such, i just talk about a little bit about it. I go back to uh, my, my introduction to college basketball predated the actual formation of the official big five, which was wow. in 1955-56. But it was still called the Big Five informally. And, and, and we all know that heyday was roughly, you know, 50, next 30 years, 55 to 85. And, and then things happen. You can blame John Cheney. You can blame Raleigh or, you know, for, you know, scheduling. You know, you know all that stuff. Yeah. But how much time? But I, my, influ, my interest in college basketball, was, which is still enormous, it was heavily influenced by that whole Big Five uh, thing, you know. Okay. How much of that Big Five feel exists today? Of terms of rivalry, in terms of the whole a rivalry and b camaraderie, because one of the things that made that so special was was the the fact that you were frenemies, you know, before that word was even invented, all the time, and you lived through it. So it's so true, Bob. You know, I and I, you know, I grew up '60s, '70s as a young kid, and that was the heyday, as you said, and um, you know, no, nobody in my family went to college or was affiliated with anything. So I liked all five schools. That's how we all fell in love with basketball in, in Philadelphia. And uh, it's Philly is, is a, is just such a unique town. It's so parochial. The, the connection between the schools is still there. It's still strong. We, we do a coach. We have a coaches versus cancer events where all five of the big five schools and Drexel now, we, we do a, a, a basketball, a black tie affair. We all come together with all of our alumni. We, we raise a million dollars now. Now, Fran Dunphy and Phil Martelli are a huge part of that. Uh, huge. Like, they really built that coaches versus cancer thing up. And we, we do an event where, and I say this only in Philly, the Monday morning after Selection Sunday at 7.30 in the morning, all of us, all the coaches, all the media in Philadelphia, we go to the palestra on the floor of the palestra, 7.30 in the morning, goes 7.30 to 10.30. Now, we're preparing for the NSA tournament. <laughs> There's a 1,000 people on the palestra floor, all basketball people, and we raise money for coaches versus cancer. And everyone has to go to practice, but they'll do it for Philly basketball. It, the rivalries might not be the same. They're still big when we play each other. They're still really big. Uh oh, coach! Philly basketball. <laughs> a little surprise oh, no. for you. Yo, that's a great surprise right there, that? man. Right? That's Philly basketball right there, man. That's the greatest example. Well, Bucks County basketball, coach. You know this. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome in Arch Ryan, Archie Diacono, Bob Ryan, Jay Wright. Hello, Arch. Good to have hey. you. Where, where, where are you right now? I'm actually back home. I came home the other day from Chicago, back to my parents' house in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Oh. I have access to a couple, uh, like, private gyms around here. So it, it'll be nice to get in there by myself and my little brother, We won't too. tell anybody. Don't worry. We won't tell anybody about the private gyms. So nobody's hounding <laughs> you. This Jeff, is the guy. Got, literally, Jeff, literally, his boy, his buddy, has a full court 
And I had just talked to him in, in Chicago and he said he couldn't get into a gym. His buddy at home has a full court at his house. Full so court. it's literally a private gym. That's where he's going to be working out. That's a genius move, Archie. Proud yeah. of you, buddy. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I got to get my little brother. You know what I mean? We're going at each other. We went at each other yesterday. So I got to help Chris out a little bit. I love it. I love it. Dave, this, this is the guy that I credit, and I know you do too, as helping to get Villanova basketball back. To, to changing the culture back. You kind of admitted you lost it a little bit there for a couple of years, uh, and you got it back. How, how did he do that? I mean, how did this guy with a chef who I know they were both kind of responsible uh, for getting it back, how, how was he able to do it? Well, you know, earlier I referenced SEC football. You know, like if you, if you grow up in Alabama, like you dream about playing for Alabama football. In the Northeast, that doesn't really happen because there's so many schools and everybody's so close to each other. But Ryan, Ryan's mom and dad went to Villanova. So Ryan grew up as a young kid because of his parents watching Villanova basketball. And Ryan's mom was actually on the same dorm room, same dorm as, as uh, in the same hall as my wife, Patty, when they were in college together. The greatest recruiting visit ever. <laughs> he comes in with his mom and dad and, and, uh, I start showing around. His dad says, Jay, let's just cut to the chase. You have some beers at your house? Said, yeah, he goes, let's just go back to your kitchen table and drink some beers. We know what we all want to do here. It was the best. That's fun. But he grew up watching Villanova basketball. So not only was he a great player, but the culture and what we were trying to teach, we had kind of lost it a little bit, but he had grown up watching it. So he came in as a freshman, and I'm going to let him talk, then I'm going to tell you my favorite story his first day in practice. But he came in as a freshman with that culture already built into him. So it was like we were getting a senior in the, in the freshman class, mm. and then he passed it down to everybody, and everyone saw it immediately without us having to teach it to him. Ryan, did the uh, coach have a specific, a couple of phrases or things you guys are going, oh, God, we're going to hear this one again or, or uh, anything like that that uh, you, you didn't want to do because you didn't want to hear it? <laughs> um, no, I, I think the biggest thing with coach has always been – he's always preached attitude. And ever since being at Villanova, even before, it was attitude and humble and hungry. And I had humble and hungry bracelets in high school and then – I know we had him at Villanova, and I still am wearing my attitude bracelet. Like, I wear it when I play in our, in our games for the Bulls still. It just – with my little brother there now, I have endless amounts of these attitude bracelets. It's always in the back of my mind because I do think that it's, it's the thing that Coach Wright preaches the most. Uh, you can't control what happens in the past. You can only control how you respond in the future. And I think that uh, relates to uh, more than just basketball, as Coach Wright always would tell us that you can use it anywhere in life. So I've really tried to take that – uh, both on and off the basketball court and just uh, have a positive attitude and just respond to any situation as best I can. So he, he doesn't have playing time. He can't hold that over you anymore. So, so now you can give us your greatest Jay Wright story. What, you know, give me something that we haven't heard before uh, that we can count. You can rip on him now. You can, whatever it's open. <laughs> to My little brother's still there. He'll take it out on little arms. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. He's, he, we, we, we've had our fair share of practices and our freshman year, I'm pretty sure we practiced three, three and a half hours, like every single day because coach wanted to get us into that mindset of like a Villanova basketball team. So, uh, but besides that, they, he said some funny imitations of players when they think they, they're doing better than they are. Like Daniel Chefu, coach Wright's throwing running hook shots across the lane, but he's chucking them over the backboard. <laughs> into like the stands yeah so it's it's pretty funny but uh coaches he's always uh wants the best for us hey jeff you were asking he i don't know if he will tell this but when you asked about him changing you know getting the culture back archie do you remember the first day of practice your freshman year with you and Javon pinkston can you tell that yeah story? yeah so i was uh, as a lot of people know, I didn't play my senior year of high school. I had a herniated disc, so coach and all of them were worried about if I could kind of play at the level, how I would respond. And, like, the first day of practice, like, Javon Pinkston, all 280 pounds, 260 of them, just ran me over, and I took a charge, and everyone kind of, like, held their breath, and I would just pop right back up. 
And they were like, okay, he's fine. And then a couple plays later, I did the same thing and went on and, like, broke his nose. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Yeah, it's like coach. It's like favorite story of mine. And then after that, they're like, "Okay, he he's fine. He's back. He's, back. he's, again. he's okay." Yeah. And Javon Pinkston was a Golden Glove boxer in Brooklyn, Man. toughest guy on our team. Yeah. And he was a junior. Was he a junior, Archie? No, he was a sophomore. He was sophomore? a sophomore. But he was the bully of our team. And Ryan's coming in as this freshman, coming off back surgery, and you know. Everyone's like, is this guy, you know, was this guy really going to be legit? He takes a charge on Javon. We're all like, all right, that's it. He's the best. Then he goes up Javon's chest, and with his knee, he breaks Javon's nose. Blood's everywhere. And j- knowing Javon, Javon's like, I love this guy. Really? Was, yeah. Yeah, I think Javon was happy he was going to be out of practice for three weeks because he didn't <laughs> like the practice. And he that's respected probably- Arch. Gained his respect a little bit. That's definitely because they're like, all right, who's this white kid from the suburbs coming in? What's he about to do? (laughs) You know, Jay, I was going to ask you this question, and and you can go wherever you want with it, but there are three main topics right now going on with college hoops, in my opinion. You've got name, image, likeness. You've got the G League deal, uh, the developmental system, and you've got the one-time transfer waiver. Those are kind of three hot-button topics involving college basketball. You know, maybe I'm missing one. But I think those are them, uh, along with maybe the penalties that the schools are going to face uh, from the NCAA. What are you worried about the most? You know, I, I would like to cover all of it in, in, in one yeah. concept in, in that I think we need to get – first of all, we need the NBA. The NBA is the only way we're going to solve this in college basketball because the – the NBA dictates whether guys can come out of high school or not. The NBA and it's the players association and the NBA that have to do this. A lot of the problems in college are there are guys going to college that don't want to be in college and, and, and then, and they want to be making money and they're good enough to make money and they can't. So that's going to change, but we need to get guys that can come out of high school and go to the G league. I love what they're doing with the G league. I love this. Let guys that are good enough to go to the NBA go to the NBA. And then make college basketball authentic. If you want to be in college and be a student athlete, you're going to be there for two or three years, and the NBA has to agree that we're not going to select them. We're going to take them out of high school. They can go to the G League or they can go to the NBA. If they want to be students, we're going to allow them to be students for two or three years before we take them, much like baseball and football. And then the guys that are in college know they're going to be in college for two or three years. And, and everything gets back to being authentic. It, it, it all comes down – everybody loves to criticize the NCAA. And granted, the NCAA always reacts too late. It's, it's always reactionary. We, we don't have enough vision and leadership. But – we, the NBA controls whether these guys go to college or not or, and, and how long they're in college. The NBA controls that, not us. It's, we, it's all on the NBA. You know, that one of the I, – I, I agree with you, Jay, that I, I've been saying that let them come. I've been saying let them come. The, the, let the kids – if a high school player wants to try it, as long as he understands – the system that he's entering, which is that there are uh, 15-man rosters, uh, just like hockey now. You, know, you pick your 12-man to suit up every night, and, and, uh, and you might be going to the G League. As long as you understand that, that you may not be stepping into the starting lineup in the NBA, you have to understand the perils of it as well. If you, wanna, if you feel up to it and you're confident enough in your abilities to try it, fine. Understand, though, what it may mean, and, and you might want to think twice before you jump into this pool, you know, if you understand, you know, without understanding the full scope of what you're really getting into. Now, this whole G League thing, paying this kind of money that they're talking about for the certain people does change the equation a lot in the question, yeah. and I, I still haven't got my head wrapped around how this is going to work socially even, you know, the, on those teams. But, um, but I agree with you. It, 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 it's, it's always been about the NBA, not about, not about the, uh, the college. I mean, going by, way back when um, in, in, in the pre-Spencer Haywood, which is the dividing line in all this talk, the Spencer Haywood, uh, that one person more historically important than any player in the history of basketball in terms of how this game is being conducted, yeah. is that uh, they had a rule that once you entered college, you could not be eligible for the draft for four years. 
and there were guys that, and a couple handful that in those days dropped out. Ray Scott, I'm sure you know that name. Ray, yeah. Ray Scott was a, a one example. He had to go to the Eastern League before he came to enter the NBA and had a 10-year career in those days. That's what, that's the way, that's the way it was. Yeah. And, and, um, but it's, it was because of the NBA's rule. It wasn't the college rule. It's, yeah. and people have to get this through their head. What is, what is Arch? What do you guys at the NBA think about this? These high school kids coming to the G League and everything. I know they want to get all the best players in the league, but I just, from a G League standpoint, I've been in the G League where I, I made my two-way salary, which was like a base of 75, but everyone else made like 30 grand. I don't know how they're going to pay this one team in L.A., which there's already two teams in L.A. You're going to add a third team to L.A. that's a select team that each of them gets 500 grand. Like, the players are going to want it. Like, the teammates are going to – not they're going to, they're going to hate them. They're going to hate, I mean, not hate them, but they're going to be like this, this dude coming in making 250 grand when I've been grinding away and being a professional overseas to try to get my shot in the NBA. And I'm making $35,000 and this kid's 18 coming in making, they're paying three kids a, a million dollars. Like how, the, how does the money thing work when other teams only have 250,000 to divide for every, for a 10 man roster? Yeah. I, interesting. I just don't understand why Adam Silver is doing this. I, I just – I don't understand if it's to keep R.J. Hampton and LaMelo Ball from going to New Zealand or Australia, who gives a shit? Let let a couple kids go. I, I, I think about this, some other alternative. How about this for, a, about this for a, a theory? Yeah, go ahead. In 21, the, the NBA has said that they were going to take kids – they were going to take players out of high school, right? But they have to get the players' association to agree to that leverage. What if they? What if they know that the players' association is not going to agree to that? I agree. And they're not going to be able to take those guys out of high school. So now this is going to be their only way to get guys out of high school. I'm with you. I think there's an ulterior motive here. I, I think it's because Adam Silver put all his cards on the table a couple of years ago and said we're going to change the rule, and now. They can't get it done because why would you, Arch, why would the Players Association and, and you want high school kids coming into the league and potentially taking your jobs or older guys that are in the last year of their – they wouldn't. And why do owners want it when most of these kids aren't ready? you rather have them, to me, play in college and already have a brand. People know who you are, Arch. Why? Because you played at Villanova. You played college basketball. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, only thing I can see is them trying to develop this G League and make it much more of like their own system. Because I know the Miami Heat do a great job of de- developing players. Like Duncan Robinson was a big time player for the G League team, and I was starting for them. But if an 18, 19 year old kid comes in, he's going to have to spend his fair share of time in the G League, whether the NBA team drafts him, and it might be two to three years before you hear about from that kid again sprinkle in a couple games in the rookie season, but it's going to take a while. I just think that maybe they want to make it a full organizational thing, like one windy, not windy city bulls, Chicago bulls, like one Chicago bulls organization. That's the only thing I can really see. Them Although it's more like, more like baseball or hockey, more like baseball yeah. theory. Although the irony of that is, or I, I misuse the word irony, I guess. The interesting thing about that is that baseball's minor league is under siege and it, it probably there's going to be a real, uh, shake up after the coronavirus uh, world resumes. Uh, you know, you're sure aware of that, that, that the consolidation of minor leagues is, is, is a big hot topic in baseball. But anyway, the idea of organizational control, I believe now there's only one team in the, all of the NBA that doesn't have a G League affiliate. I believe. I don't know which team it is, but uh, so it's becoming the idea that you have a G League affiliate here with the Celtics. It's the it's the main Red Claws, and 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 uh, that's it's clearly heading in that direction. There's no there's no question. Jay, I have a question for you with regard to this about the quality of play issue with regard to the, uh, the college basketball quality of play as it exists now with the, with the defections, uh, of, of the, the one and dones, et cetera, and the fans. Do they even under- notice the difference? Isn't the, the spirit and feel for college basketball, has it changed at all during your entire career in college basketball, uh, even with the, this one and done phenomenon being so rampant? I think it's getting <laughs> – I think it's getting bigger and bigger, and, and, and that's why uh, I think that, you know, we're, I think everybody's making more money and more money and more money, and, and that, that's the problem that the NCAA's been making more money, more money's getting more popular. 
uh, even at the lower levels, uh, uh, you know, the mid-major level, it's just getting bigger and bigger. And we should have addressed this name, image, and likeness issue 15 years ago. And we should have gradually worked this in. This, this is one of the problems with the NBA and, excuse me, with the NCA. The NCA, the, the NBA is the greatest marketing machine in sports anywhere in the world. I would put it up against soccer, the Premier League, everything. And you could also argue, you could put them up against any of the great businesses in the world as a marketing machine. And then the NCA might be the worst because it's, we're, be careful. we're supposed to be educated. You know, might worry that now. He did that now. He won two national titles. He's okay. okay. Yeah. But I mean, we, yeah, we don't want to get Cleveland State on probation again if you don't. If you do. <laughs> that is a great line. <laughs> that is a great line. So I just, I, I just feel like everything was, is going great for college basketball. And it, like you say, you know, Zion Williamson was so big with that it was a great one. This past year, there weren't really many great one and done guys, but the sport wasn't losing popularity at all. You know, it, and the NCAA tournament was going to be great and it was going to be up for grabs. And I just think we have such a unique entity in our country, this college athletics um, experience where the, the beauty of it is you're watching guys play on a high level and they were in the same classrooms that you were. They walked the same campus that you did. They had the same experiences you did. That's the beauty of it. And I think it's going to be fine even if the top players go to the G League. It's going to be fine. And even if it drops a little bit, it's still a unique entity in our country that no one else has that I think we have to protect. We are the only country in the world, I keep saying, that does this. And that includes Canada because it's very low-key up there, uh, more Division three level, if anything. It's not a, a big part of the sports smorgasbord in Canada at all. It's a minor part. But here we know how big it is. College football, you can be argued, is the number you know, three sport you know, behind yeah. the NFL and, and the NBA. Quite frankly, you know, you know that, and uh, and March Madness is, is an entity that uh, you know that America has fallen in love with. Um, we are we are the only country that does it, but we let it kind of get out of control in a sense. We 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 haven't figured out how to harness it, how to properly exp- use you know use it to the benefit of, of enough, and, and specifically the the, the student. I'm going to be very proper now. The student athlete, you know, uh, and, and his or her role in it. But yeah, you know, we are we are the only country that does this. We want it. America wants this. I mean, you. I keep saying this. Can you imagine waking up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and being told that tomorrow that there's no more Alabama football? Can you imagine waking up in Lexington, Kentucky, and being told there's no more Wildcat uh, basketball? No, it's unimaginable for us. So we have to figure out a way to get it a little bit more under control. However, exactly. And, and the the people that run it aren't business people they're academicians and and we're not good at it. like and we don't market what what is really the beauty of it like two nights ago right ryan and his guys in the class of 16 got together with our guys from the class of 18 and they put i had nothing to do with this I, and they put together a virtual game and they used their intelligence i don't know how they did this they got some company to Couldn't put together a virtual game, 16 oh, against 18. And they raised, and they all got online with this. And they raised close to $30,000 for Phil Abundance, which is a, a food organization to feed the poor in Philadelphia. Mm. Like that, that's, that's things that got... That the G League's not going to have that. Figure out how to do that. They learned in college. I don't know. Right. It was amazing. I was so proud of them. But that, that, we don't talk about that stuff. And we don't we don't have a marketing machine that promotes that. Well, that's that's really interesting. Right. Congratulations to you, uh, Arch, for no, doing that. Awesome. That's great. It was it was Kevin Rafferty and Daryl Reynolds, who was class of seventeen, both on our sixteen team. We, I mean, everyone talks about the sixteen versus eighteen team debate. So they contacted an esports. They did the simulations. We all had a Zoom call to rate players and do everything. But Kevin and Daryl did a great job talking to Phil Abundance and raising all the money. And we we're just there, just shooting the shit with each other, having fun, but also doing it for a great cause. Who, who won? Who was the better team? <laughs> they, 
They had uh, – so we won – I mean, it was like a five-minute NBA 2K. Uh, so you had like two Jalen Brunsons going against each other, just different <laughs> ratings. But we won. The 16 won 57 to 55. But it was – it's not very telling. We're hoping to be able to get it, uh, that game actually happen. Like, you need to play next that summer. game. But like, we're gonna, maybe we'll, we'll do that for charity next summer, a couple summers from now, where we actually play – Sell some tickets in the fin and then sell oh, it out. I, 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 how many? How many did you have, uh, Brian? <laughs> Four points. I took two shots the whole game, so like, <laughs> that you know it wasn't realistic. You know what I mean? I didn't take any charges. I didn't take any charges. I didn't die for any loose balls, so you know it wasn't real. <laughs> All right, listen, we know the Jets. You know what? You know what? I was so proud of. I'm, I'm watching this thing virtually, and the guy that set it up that was the kind of the brain trust with esports was on the 16 team. Okay. So the game goes into overtime, and the guys on 18 are literally saying, this is BS because you paid <laughs> to set up the game. That's They're actually mad that they lost the virtual game. That's how competitive yeah, they right. are. And they're blaming it on the guy that set it up. Right. Yeah. Competitors, of course. I understand. All right, Jay, we know you got to leave. Because Mike Sheridan's going to kick my ass if, if we don't up. <laughs> you have a call already that you're late for, and you are the absolute worst. I've seen you in gyms at getting from point A to point B. I know Massimino was bad. You're just as bad, okay? There you go. There, I got Chris, Chris here, Arch. too. Just Chris. say hi. What's up, Coach? Chris uh, Arch, there's my new Arch. There's my new Arch card right there. <laughs> no, I'm going to go put him through a workout right now, you know. I got to get him in shape. <laughs> Work him out, baby. Oh, wait, coach, I'm in shape. I'm in he's shape. in finals right now. He's in finals right <laughs> now. He, he finished up yesterday. Trust me. I'm like, Chris, you want to go? He's like, I got this final. It took him three hours to do. I'm like, Jesus, man, I don't miss those days. <laughs> hey, Arch, you want, you want to see what Jay's going to be wearing next year on the sidelines? Bob, show him. This is uh, what Jay's going to wear. <laughs> I can see it. If there's one coach that can pull it off, it's him. So yeah, I right. You know it. You know it. Coach, next time we're going to talk about your career with the Bisons. We want to hear about your on-court exploits. Hey, go to your other call. I don't want to get you in trouble. Podcast call. Get, when you get off this, make that call. I don't want to get in trouble. All right. We <laughs> don't want to be on Mike's bedside. Be safe, you guys. Bye. Love you guys. Bye. 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 Thanks, Archie.